This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome back to Trashy Divorces. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. I'm Alicia. My name is Stacy. This week, ooh, we have two very high-profile divorces, marriages, divorces, fusing the beating heart of American politics with the beating heart of American Hollywood, sort of. They are a generation apart, but it's time to swing on a star. (laughs) Swinging on a star is an American pop standard, y'all. The music is composed by Jimmy Van Heusen again. Uh, Lyrics this time are by Johnny Burke. The first original version was recorded by Bing Crosby. In the 1944 film Going My Way, it did win the Academy Award for Best Original Song that year. (laughs) However, Frank Sinatra recorded that version on his Moon River Days of Wine and Roses album. It'll be on on TrashyDivorces.com website it's a good one come check it out so this week we have two hollywood politics marriages yeah and we set them up in a particular way so who are you starting us off with so that because we, we wanted to go in sequence the first divorce of the kennedy family mm. patricia kennedy and her husband peter lawford hmm. and i have the next generation of what i call the semi kennedys maria shriver <laughs> who uh, for 25 years was married to a hound dog named Arnold Schwarzenegger. All of that is true. There's some really good trashy divorces this week. Before we get started on that, Patreon this week, some good stuff. You had a trashy politics. Mm -hmm. We continued the Ocean Eleven series. We dropped Trashtrology with Aquarius, as well as another bonus about the Year of the Rat. Yeah, yeah, Lunar Lunar New Year, Chinese New Year. Twins and cusps. So -hmm. that was all exciting. We do have some shout outs to give in our magic mirror this week. We do. All right. I'll kick us off. And great thanks to Jessica W., Kathleen R., Emily K., Natalie V., Allison C., and True Crime Snack Time podcast. Thanks for joining. Plus Andrea W. and Lisa S. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All of our new supporters over on Patreon. I want to take a minute and give a big shout out. We are so grateful for our super supporters, our Trash candy connoisseurs. I've got more prize packs going out this week, along with some fun content coming up for you as well. I want to just give a quick shout out to Alana M, Melissa O, Michelle, Kelly KC, Carrie A, and Kimberly K. Y'all are amazing. Yep. Thanks to all our Patreon supporters. Old and new. Yup. So I guess we should pack those moonbeams in a jar so we can what? Go, go, go. Let's do it. Cool. It's time for Trashy Divorces. Cue the music. Okay, Alicia. So we are in Oceans 11, the 12 degrees of Frank Sinatra. We are. I have a good story this week. Right, I know. Normally we would normally I would be going first this week, but I know you were like, no, 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 this will really set up your story too. I've got everything. It's, so let's... Uh, it has everything. I've been wanting to do this lineup 
This was the fourth divorce lineup that was made when we originated this project a year and a half ago. I'm so excited about today's story of mine. This is the first divorce ever to happen in the esteemed Kennedy family. Mm, I've heard of them. Catholic? You don't divorce. There's no divorce. It's like, first it's divorce. like the royal family. First divorce honors. Uh, this is the Princess Margaret of uh, the Kennedy family, because Princess Margaret was the first divorce. Sure. Okay, so we have the sweet Kennedy middle girl child marry an Englishman actor, and all hell is going to break loose. Are you ready to hear this? I Am I? I, Peter Lawford. He is a member of the Rat Pack, which is how he ties into this week's, or uh, the season's theme. Peter Lawford, born September 7th, 1923. He's a Virgo baby. He's the only child of an army general. That army general is also a knight of the realm. His name is Sidney Lawford. And he is married. But not to May Somerville Bunny. Bunny Somerville? May Somerville Bunny. Bunny is her last name. Oh. It's an esteemed name. Somerville dash bunny? No, no dashes. Some, Somerville, Somerville Bunny. bunny. One, mm-hmm. one, it's like a German cognate word. May Somerville Bunny. May Bunny. Isn't that a great name? <laughs> okay. So Sydney and May Bunny are not married. But May Bunny is also married. And so is Sydney Lawford. They're just not married to each other. Seems like a very English aristocracy kind of thing. May Bunny hmm. is married to one of Sydney Lawford's officers. This is not good order and discipline. Peter's birth results in a double divorce for mm-hmm, both couples. Mm-hmm. Wow. Where Sydney and May Bunny promptly marry in September 1924, a year after Peter's birth. Family for Peter Lawford is connected into the English aristocracy. And this love affair, double divorce, bonus kid, pretty much causes a scandal. And the Lawfords are out of England. GTFO. They're, it's that scandalous. So cool. Peter grows up in all kinds of locales. Like he travels the world. They're in France. They're in Africa. They're all over the world. He has no formal schooling. The world is his school. He does have governesses and tutors, but his education is very carefully selected and multilingual, not just in languages and curriculum, but also with religion. So he's with assorted help of all kinds all over the world, going to church in different areas, seeing like this kid has a passport, yo. Citizen of the world. Peter has his first acting role at the age of seven in this little English film. But at 14, like this is pretty crappy. Peter has an accident which will impair the use of his right arm. It goes through a glass door. And there's a lot of nerve damage. So no armed services for you, kid. You're sitting on the Greek by, W by bench. By which you mean military. Exactly. Not, you're not making fun of his arm injury. No, 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 no I'm not. Because his father, mm-hmm. lieutenant was, general in the yeah. army, certainly plans for Peter to follow in sure. an armed services career. But now Peter can't. You know what he could be, though, is a diplomat or he could be a pimp for JFK. I mean, take your pick. Why can't take it be both? Pick. So Peter is like, great, I'm going to be an actor. Which really pisses off. So he has this like rich dower aunt who was planning to leave him her estate and will and let him carry on the 
but Peter won't inherit anything from her because it's scandalous sure, that you want to be sure. an actor. So he's going to be on his own. Now, the Lawford family, Sydney, May Bunny, and Peter, have been living all over the world. But they take a little detour and stay with some, like, nouveau riche families in Palm Beach, Florida for My a while. My God. Okay. This is, the, this is, like, end of the 1930s. And all the new money rich people of the area are, like, bragging about, oh, we have real blue-blooded Brits staying with us in fancy accents. And Okay, but by 1939, the Lawfords are out of Palm Beach. And they, their, <laughs> their mat does not welcome you anymore. They get kicked kind of out of their nonsense. And they land across the bridge in West Palm Beach. Okay, so they traveled far. And yet... They did travel far. And please go back and see uh, Fun with Dunn, the Bitches of Palm Beach episode. did not travel far, but they fell far. How about that? D- Dominic Dunn is so spiderwebby attached into this. Okay. There's a really good Palm Beach, West Palm Beach, Fun with Dunn episode that we're referring to back on Patreon. Check it out. So at 16, Peter legit should be like a junior in high school, right? But he's not because the Lawfords, now that the war is breaking out, and are like, crap, all of our cash is in England. So they have this tiny place in West Palm. And Peter, instead of going to school every day, is parking cars. He's working for the family income. Dad mm-hmm. is not working anymore. No, I'm sure there's a lot of shame, though, also that goes with... Because presumably he was drummed out of his honorable service for dishonorable conduct. And now your country is headed into a brutal war. And you're completely sidelined. But here's the thing. Peter's charming AF, and, and he's good-looking and AF. And you're stuck in Florida. Sorry. Parking cars. Sorry. Well, I'm talking about his dad. Sorry, Sid Lawford. Peter's going to get noticed in a lot of ways. Okay. Like, handsome, tall, with the accent. Like, if there's any news to tell me anytime, give it to me in a British accent. It's just better. But mine are terrible, so it's just best if I don't. This job is keeping the family going. Peter's parking cars every day. There's a fun little spider web. One hot summer day, Peter's taking a break from car parking. He's hanging out with the other guys who work at the lot. Those two guys are black. They're sitting under trees, eating lunch, eating sandwiches, playing cards. It's like 1940? Uh, yeah. Okay. Ni- yeah, 1940. Like every other teenage boy on a break exactly. from working at the parking lot ever. But in the American South, in a very fancy part of anyway. One customer mm, really. sees this thing happening and gets really mad. Just one, though? Like hopping mad. Okay. Like, why is this boy hanging out with the blacks? And I'm sadly not surprised to hear this. The customer, who is so very wrong in this situation, goes to the boss man of the parking lot. And complains about this travesty that he has witnessed Race under the palm tree. Race mixing. This customer wants Peter fired for his antics. For sitting under a tree, having a sandwich with his friends playing cards. I mean, come on. It's American South. It's 1940. Peter doesn't get fired. Be ready for the fun part. Oh, yeah. That dickhead customer who complains is Joe Kennedy. Who in 15 years is going to be Peter's father-in-law. <laughs> Wow. Wait for it. So Peter's mama is like, we can do better than this. Let's get you to Hollywood, son, because the war's broken out and Hollywood is in need. All right. They're short of men. They're short of men. They're in need of Frank Sinatra got famous. English gentlemen. Mm -hmm. And the war is back on. 
and the lack of actors who are actually fighting in the war creates a huge opportunity. We've seen it mm-hmm. already. So mom borrows some cash, and off the family goes to sunny California, which Hollywood gets one good look at Peter and like, hey, he starts with films in 1942. He's got small parts at first, but he's steadily working and building his resume. His first major part, Spiderwebs, is opposite Mickey Rooney in a yank at Elton in 1942. Within a year, 1943, he signed at MGM. He's in all kinds of parts. He's working his way up to leading man roles. Like, English gentlemen are in need, and he is. Seriously. I love this. He's like, good looking. Well, you see, charming. sir, I put my arm through a plate glass window years ago, and now I can't fire a gun. <laughs> That's... In... 1946, he wins Modern Screen's reader poll of the most popular leading man in Hollywood. Okay. So the land of Hollywood is the land of honey when it comes to chicks. And apparently nobody can resist Peter Lawford with his good looks and English accent. And he dates everyone. And seriously, like, this is what I'm learning this season is Hollywood studios are like, um, high school dating 101. Because it's a pool, and it just switches around from who's dating who at any given time, or married to who, or breaking up with who, or fighting with who, or having a secret. It's crazy. So two of the leading ladies, this is why Peter's in this week, that we've talked about already, Lana Turner and Ava Gardner, Peter has dated them. Peter Lawford is dating Ava in this 1946-1947 time frame until see last week's episode. Frank and Ava Gardner have their thing. Now, Frank Sinatra, right, made it into the Hollywood studio system about the same time as Peter. They're running buddies. They drink, they cavort, they have a good time. They are uh, reliable with the ladies. So Peter gets his tiny role in a movie of Frank's. And totally, like his role that was supposed to be in Nothing gets upgraded to this dance number. And because he's so skilled at holding his arm, which is injured, like Peter Lawford is this fucking star of the film. And this bit part gets all the great reviews. And Frank Sinatra doesn't. Is thrilled. Can't can't be happier for his friend. No, Frank is mad. Really? That's the first thing that happens, I think, to bust up their friendship. The second thing that occurs When Frank and Ava hit the skids in 1953, Peter Lawford and his manager invite Ava Gardner and her sister Bappy out for a drink. It's all very innocent, very in the public. There are four of them at the table, all kicking back a old fashioned and having a shrimp cocktail. Like it's fine. Fake news. Photographers spot them, um, take pictures, airbrush out the manager sure they do. and Bappy. Frank sees Ava and Peter in the shot. And well, you know, Frank Sinatra, he makes a 3 a.m. call to oh Peter Lawford. I'm going to break your legs. <laughs> and Peter Lawford, knowing Frank's association with gangsters and yep. mob, like Peter's like, that might not be that far off. So their relationship is going to cool for a while. That's weird. <laughs> That's weird. So Peter works steadily at MGM for about 10 years. He signs in 43. They drop him in 1953. 
So he's had a decade of a pretty good run. But hey, 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 now there's television. And he's going to work pretty steadily on TV for a while, which is where we're going to leave Peter on the trashy divorces. Television Depot. Television Depot for a moment. Let's meet our bride. (laughs) The very lovely Patricia Helen Kennedy. Born May 6, 1924. She's kid number six in the nine Kennedy children. So if you're in the pub, here's your pub trivia question. What's the order of the Kennedy kids? You got Joe Jr., Rosemary, John, Kathleen, also known as Kick, Eunice, Patricia, Robert, Jean, Edward, also known as Teddy. Patricia, God bless her. She's so much the middle child. She's born in Brookline, Massachusetts. She's educated in the best schools, both here in the United States as well as in London, Because her daddy, Joe Kennedy, goes to serve as ambassador to Great Britain from 1937 to 1940. It's a little bit of a step up for Joe, who began as a bootlegger. He did. And a stock market fraudster. I have heard that. So yay, we're going to talk about him on Patreon this week. But the Kennedy family lands back in the States when Joe supports appeasement and makes a line of bad decisions Mm -hmm. over and over and is no longer the ambassador to Great Mm -hmm. Britain. Patricia, because this story is about Patricia, is tall, lanky, athletic, good-looking. She's a hell of a tennis player, hell of a sailor. People say she could completely and totally be a professional golfer. But unlike the rest of her family, she's not really competitive. She doesn't care if she wins or loses. Which, are you sure you're a Kennedy? Yeah, right. Unless maybe she is a little bit competitive, too, because hold on to that for a second. So... Pearl S. Buck, Nobel Prize winning Mm -hmm. writer and social activist, Mm -hmm. uh, writes a book called The Kennedy Women. That's not the one we read in high school. We read a different one. I picked this book up probably, whatever, in a weird rando somewhere sale for $3 in a garage sale and was so happy to have it. So I got to use that this week. Okay. Uh, Pearl S. Buck says that Pat Lawford was the most attractive, the least dominating, the most yielding and gentle of the Kennedy girls. Pat is a model student. She's smart as a whip. She graduates from Rosemont College in 1945 with a BA. All through college, she acts and directs in a lot of plays. And unlike her family of politicians and, well, being a girl, she's going to follow her own interest, which is theater. Once she graduates, she goes to work for NBC. She's producing. Hmm. She then moves to L.A. to work as an assistant for Kate Smith's radio program. Later, she's going to go to work for Father Peyton's Family Theater. So she has a career in media and broadcast. That's interesting. Producing. I think she works on television's first cooking show, too. Like, she is in Hollywood working. Uh, Later, she goes to work. For Father Peyton's family theater, who has coined the phrase at the time, the family that prays together stays together. Oh, someone actually coined that. I guess that they is. would have to. Yep. Okay. Good for Father Peyton. That rhymes and, and everything. And the family rosary crusade. Jesus. Okay. Good, fine Catholic programming. So Pat is committed to the Kennedy family. 
She knows the deal, and she is a tireless supporter of her brother's campaigns. All of them. When Jack runs in 1946 for Congress, she holds tea parties with her mom, Rose. They're working in the offices. They're doing stuff at night. She does the same tea party office campaign work again in 1952 when Jack runs for Senate and upsets the incumbent, Henry Cabot Lodge Jr., and Jack wins his first Senate term. Hmm. So, like, Pat's in. She supports the family mission, but she's kind of doing her own thing, too, and probably trying to make a name for herself among her family. Poor middle kids. Okay, so let's get these two together. It's 1953. Both of our young lovers are not quite so young anymore. Peter's hit 30, and Patricia's like 28, 29. She's living in Manhattan. Spinster. I mean, come (laughs) on. Actually, we're going to talk about the spinster origin this week on Trashy Tidbits. Oh, very cool. It's a fascinating story. Great. Okay. Patricia's living in Manhattan at the time. She runs into Peter Lawford. Now, poster on the wall, repetition, repetition. Pat, his, like, poster on the wall, Peter Lawford, he's so dreamy. He's divine. And they have met socially a few times over the past few years, but nothing ever came of it until now. Because 30-year-old Peter is like, hey, my contract with MGM is done. I'm on TV, but, man, the game's getting tired. I probably need to settle down. And Patricia, nearing 30, might be thinking the same thing. So they have a whirlwind courtship two months. They announced their engagement in early uh, early 1953. Peter says, Pat's a tremendous person. She has a terrific mind and a great sense of loyalty. She's so honest. There's no pretense about her at all. She has such a wonderful outlook on everything. Virgo, highly complimentary to his Taurus. Okay. It will not stay that way. Hmm. <laughs> so, with Pat, you have to understand that other things with her siblings are happening, too, in 1953. Her marriage is not the only hot topic at the Kennedy dinner table. Her sister, Eunice, gets married in April of 1953. She does. This will be the mother of the bride of your profile. It is. And apparently, like, yeah, she and uh, Sergeant Shriver are... Really cool people, very good marriage, very happy marriage for a billion years. It was a good one. Yeah, Peace Corps, Special Olympics, like tough to yeah. tough to like beat their humanitarian. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. trashy divorces heroes right B- there. Big hearted people, yeah. Pat's brother Jack is going to marry his bride Jacqueline in the September of 1953 as well. On point pronunciation, let me just say. So love is in the air. Isn't and it? Maybe some sibling rivalry too. Hmm. Joe Kennedy, remember him? I do. Oh god. Bootlegger, appeasement guy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't talk to black people. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh right. Okay. Joe's not done. Oh, Joe's not done. No. Joe says the only thing that could be worse than having your daughter marry an actor is having your daughter marry an English actor. Oh, my God. This was the former ambassador to England? Is that? Yeah, good yeah. times. Good times. Oh, 
sure that went great. Listen here, Winston Churchill. (laughs) I said you make nice with Hitler. Damn it. Back to Peter and Patricia. Cool. There is an eight carat engagement ring. Gossip columnists are like, this is the romance of the century. The wedding is held April 24th, 1954 at the Church of St. Thomas More in the Upper West Side. Or Upper East Side, I'm not sure. I might In the Upper Side of somewhere in New York. I mean, at least it wasn't a Our Lady of Tremendous Suffering or something. <laughs> no, no, no <laughs> Tremendous Suffering. Well, poor St. Thomas More kind of did suffer, but that's a different story. Fair, okay. fair. So it's supposed to be a quiet, simple ceremony. 250 guests. Nice and easy. But it doesn't turn out that way because several thousand people, lady fans and <laughs> Bobby Soxers <laughs> of... Sure, Peter... Peter, yep, line the streets. And yep. they're screaming about it all. 20 extra policemen. Beatlemania mm-hmm, happening there. Are hired for security. The entire block is cordoned off. Like, it's a mess. Patricia's veil and headpiece are grabbed on the way <gasps> to the Plaza Hotel where the reception is. Not like, cool. Not cool. Not cool. Okay, so fun little spider web here. The day of their wedding, April 24th, 1954... Trash Candy Spiderweb is also the day of Dominic and Ellen Dunn's wedding. Oh, interesting. And Dominic Dunn is thrilled that Ellen and Dominic's nuptials got the same amount of space in the <sighs> columns in the New York Times as the wedding of Patricia Lawford and Pat Kennedy. I'm sure he was. I'm surprised that he did, but I'm sure that he was happy about that. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. We're bringing it all together. Okay. So Nick and Ellen Dunn will be neighbors to the Lawfords hmm. in no time at all. The Kennedy Lawfords will buy a home at 625 Palisades Beach Road. That home once belonged to Louis B. Mayer. So nice digs if you can get them. Dominic Dunn says in an article that he wrote for Vanity Fair called The Best of Times, this quote, For two years we rented Harold Lloyd's beach house in Santa Monica. Down the beach on one side, past Daryl Zanuck's house, lived Peter and Patricia Kennedy Lawford, who had just bought the Louis B. Mayer house, which had its own projection room. On the other side, to the north of us, May West lived in a Nutra-designed house, which was next to the massive colonial-style beach house that William Randolph Hearst had built for Marion Davies, which was then in the process of being converted into a private club. Peter Lawford, again from Dominic, is not remembered well today, but in the years of our friendship before the deluge that engulfed him, which happened in the lives of so many people in this story, myself included, he was a charming and funny fellow. The center of a group of friends who rode waves, played volleyball, and gambled at poker. He and Pat, whose brother was about to be the president of the United States, were still very much in love. They ran a house where the atmosphere was relaxed and the dress was casual. Judy Garland used to come to dinner, as did Marilyn Monroe. When President Kennedy helicoptered in for Sunday lunch on a couple of occasions, you knew that you were where the best place to be was at that moment in time. That's pretty remarkable. This home is also going to become a sex palace in the coming decade for JFK when Peter Lawford acts as pimp to him. So cool. Put a pin in that. Mm -hmm. Well, put something in it. (laughs) So (laughs) Patricia doesn't really need the cash. 
she comes in to $10 million on her 30th birthday, which happens a week and a half after their wedding. And she's like, hey, I'm going to fulfill the next part of my Catholic mission. So Peter and Patricia do have four kids. Like, she's way Catholic. And I don't know if Peter expected her level of fandom for the Catholic Church. Like, she's Catherine of Aragon fandom for the Catholic Church. And maybe Patricia thinks that Peter now will settle down. But have you met Peter? Because... Reliable with the ladies. Sure. And sometimes the men. I would have. In the SM scene. Yeah, I would have. tricky. But I would imagine that her older female relatives were, were probably counseling her like, no, no, dear. Like, he's he's in his 30s now. Like, he's had his wild days and he would like now. Like, he wants a family. That is what a normal person wants. So. Yeah, no. He wants to drink and bed who he can bed. Sure. And, I mean, Dominic Dunn said it. Like. Play volleyball, gamble at poker, ride the waves, drink. Like Peter Lawford really could have been one of the most magnificent actors of the time, but he was just kind of nah, about it. So this is, a, we were talking earlier about, I'm always skeptical of people with a famous name, Kennedy, whatever, like going into a career, because when you have a name like Kennedy and you start life rich, you don't. You don't really have to exert yourself all the way, but it sounds like the Kennedys certainly at this generation really did. Like they, they were not dilettantes. They took obligation very seriously. The brother's the president of the United States. They, yeah. Yeah. They had a, yeah. like a, a faith core pushing them toward, you know, duty. Like anyway, it's, it's just interesting how things were in the past versus how things are now. I don't know if they're all that different. Pat's doing the mom thing. Hmm. Peter's doing still the playboy thing, but they both have the cachet they want. Hollywood and politics come together in this mix. And Peter's totally going to act in TV, pretty famous TV series, but he's also totally going to fuck around on Patricia. And Patricia is raising kids and being a socialite wife, either ignoring or unknowing of the stuff until she does know. And Peter never really fits into the Kennedy family. He's always kind of an outsider. I think that's a tough nut to crack. It really is. And the one thing Peter does recall, he's like, my kids are in. My kids are in with the cousins. They're part of that tribe. I was never a part of that tribe, but my kids are. So like, I think Peter got the deal. So it's worth a mention here that Frank Sinatra and Peter, remember, who were friends, have been on the outs for a while now because right. of the good review and because of the, sure. you took Ava Gardner, I'm going to break your legs. Right. But Pat Kennedy, who has been working her way up the Hollywood social ladder, because at the time it's Billy and Audrey Wilder. Audrey Wilder is the, the it's a whole other story for another day, but Pat's working her way up. Pat is delighted in 1958 to see Frank Sinatra just breeze in, crash a party of theirs like not a thing in the world has happened. Frank comes over, charms her, and the Sinatra smile is given. And uh, there's a whole, hey, your husband's like, everything's smoothed over. But Frank has a motive because Frank is fascinated by her brother Jack and he wants in on that action. So again, 
More coming on Patreon over on that story. But it's worth a mention that it's all coming together. So the marriage is not really a very good one. But here's the thing is that no Kennedy has ever been divorced. It's just simply not done. They're Catholic. It's not done. Mm -hmm. You just ride it out unhappy. So no matter how terrible it gets, they're stuck together. Mm Mm-hmm. But the world here gets in the way because her brother Jack is assassinated in 1963. And the priest from the church and the doctors and her friends, like everybody descends on that beach house to help. And Patricia's busted wide open over this. Now, you need to remember some of the tragedies that have befallen the Kennedys up to this point. When we talked about that list earlier, their oldest brother, Joe Jr., has died in the war. Rosemary, the next daughter, God bless her, is lobotomized by old man Joe. Yeah. Her sister Kathleen, who did, also called Kick, who did marry a British aristocrat, dies in a plane accident right after Joe Jr. Like, Oh, God. I kind of wonder on some level if Pat is looking to kind of recreate Kick. Like, Kick is the love of Jack's life. There's a lot about Kick that is very similar to Jacqueline which is, it's a whole weird psychosis there, but everybody loves Kick. So I'm wondering, like, is Pat looking to recreate that very much like Jack will fall into Joe's role? Joe Jr. was supposed to be president. Like, Jack is fulfilling everything his older dead brother, the expectations Joe had on him. I think Pat does, too to a certain extent, with Kathleen. After Jack's murder, she's undone. And Peter's undone as well. They both love Jack. And you'll find that Peter throughout his life is propping himself up on the worth of other people. The biographer Lawrence Lemer, who has written a book called The Kennedy Women, says... The Lawford's marriage was already falling apart. She had problems with that. Then her brother dies, and in some ways, she never really came back from that. Neither one of them do. And whatever was wrong before is now going to be a hundred times worse. And Pat's like, fuck it. Life is clearly way too short, and I don't need to stay married to this jerk anymore. Peter and Patricia will separate the following year. She heads back to New York City. He will stay in Santa Monica. They will, however, together, although they are separated, attend together Dominic and Ellen Dunn's black and white ball. Interesting. To celebrate their 10-year anniversary, even though they were separated. Another Mm -hmm. little adjacent piece. Their divorce is finalized. The first in the Kennedy family, February 1st, 1966. Pat will never remarry. She will continue to face many challenges in her family. The murder of her younger brother, Robert, coming up in 1968. Chappaquiddick, this family has more than its fair share of tragedy. Well, let's, okay, with Chappaquiddick, let's put the blame where it belongs on Ted. Like, that wasn't something that happened to the Kennedys. That was something a Kennedy did that happened to someone else. Like, just to be clear. Well, between Joe Jr. kick, JFK Jr. I gotcha. I just, I feel like Chappaquiddick is a slightly different thing than all of these 
you know, like what like, I'm saying is whatever the challenge is coming to the family, Pat feels them all. Pat feels like she's mm-hmm. a good sister. Yes. She devotes her time to charity works for art and literacy. She founds the National Committee for Literary Arts and also works with the National Center on Addiction. Pat passes away at the age of 82 on September 17th, 2006. Hmm. Her brother, Edward M. Kennedy, Teddy, mm-hmm. says, My sister Pat is irreplaceable. Everyone who knew Pat adored her. She was admired for her great style, for her love and support of the arts, her wit and generosity, and for the single sense of wonder and joy she brought into our lives. Throughout her life, Pat was constantly inspiring and helping others, whether it was campaigning for her brothers or champion, championing literacy in the arts. Her purest gift was her beautiful heart, and it shone brightly in all that she did. Thought that was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, Peter Lawford. A few more things about him. He's going to go on to marry three more times to practically children. Like, it's an all right, all right, all right, because they all stay 17, but he gets older. Sure. Yeah. Leo DiCaprio, sure. This guy is uh, as charming and witty as he was. He has some significant problems. Besides all the philandering, right, with Patricia, he was way into the drink. But he's always trying to find a way to stay youthful and hip. So enter the 70s, and drugs are going to happen too. Peter dies at the age of 61 in 1984 of liver and kidney failure. His hard living really did take him down, and not some great decisions as well. So Joe Kennedy and more about Peter coming on Patreon. Peter Lawford, all of his secrets about Marilyn Monroe. He was the last person to speak with her before her death in right. 1962. His role with JFK and Sinatra and the Rat Pack. Like, Peter Lawford becomes this glorious secret keeper about all of this stuff, but not to some of his other friends. When Elizabeth Taylor was checking into the Betty, she calls Peter like, hey, man, maybe you want to come with me, too, because oh, yeah. we both need help. I see that you're going to die soon if you don't. And uh, Peter's like, yeah, sure, Liz, that's fun. And he calls the tabloids and makes $15,000 for dropping the nugget that she's checking into the Betty. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Oh, Not my a God. good guy, Peter Lawford. Like, we're nowhere close to done with him, but we are done with his first marriage to apparently the nicest Kennedy member of the family. One of them. Like, I, I think Eunice also is, is up it's there. It's the middle kids that are the nicest. Fair. That's fair. So trash cans, so many. Yeah. A Santa Monica beach full of trash cans Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. stuffed with illegal ballots Mm. and fully stocked bars (laughs) and secrets. Spider webs and spider webs of secrets. I'm kind of proud of Patricia Kennedy on this one. Like, get out, sister. Break the mold. You got this. You don't need him to live a fulfilling life. Poor Peter, to me, is just kind of sad because he is so overshadowed in his own life by being married to the sister of the president, friends with the president in the Rat Pack, friends with Marilyn Monroe. Like, he could have been a great one, and he isn't. He's remembered for the people he kept company with. If he's remembered Not, at all. Like, I yeah, just looked him. up his picture, and it he doesn't ring a bell. I yeah. Like, he kind of, his older self rings a bell, but yeah, sorry, guy. Anyway... We've got 
more him and all that good stuff to dig into on Patreon coming up. But in the meantime, let's take a break. Yeah, we're we'll going to come back with more. We're going to come back with the next Kennedy generation a bit. More Kennedy marriage disasters. A semi-Kennedy, as it were. No, a Kennedy. A stay semi- out of Hollywood, y'all. Semi-Kennedy. Doesn't work. Yeah, stay away from Hollywood dudes. They. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back. Let's take a break. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making Just keep it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav Bros. Good job. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. I'm Dr. Megan Sachs. And I'm Dr. Amy Sloshberg. And we're the host of the podcast Campus Killings. Our show covers some of the most sinister crimes to take place on or around school campuses. Or the cases we discuss have a school-connected theme. And with the new school year comes an all-new second season of Campus Killings, which will debut on September 16th, 2023. But if you want to listen to Campus Killings now, you can binge all the episodes from season one. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Ah. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. So, Stacey, you're bringing us the Kennedy divorces, the next generation. Dun, 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 dun. I am. I have a story that I titled The Semi-Kennedy and the Vile Climber, The Strange Love of Maria Shriver and Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's so weird. Oh, my God. This story is so bad. <laughs> so, yeah, tough to do a Sinatra season without getting into some Kennedy drama. So... This week, I have the 25-year-long marriage between JFK's niece, TV journalist Maria Shriver, and Austrian-born bodybuilder, actor, politician, and consummate dirtbag Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> We're going to start with the uh, dirtbaginator since he arrived in the world first. Arnold Schwarzenegger was born on July 30th, 1947. He's a Leo, morale, in the small town of, I don't T-H-A-L, tall. Thal, tall, okay, Austria. And I think today we would describe this as a small suburb of Austria's lar- second largest city. But I think back then, it, 1940, like the war had just ended. I think it was just a little tiny town. His birthday's what? July 30th. Okay. I'm glad that was the thing you had a question about and not geography of Austria because I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> Arnold's father, Gustav, was 
Well, his father joined the Nazi party in 38, became a member of the SA, which is like the Nazi... Par- oh, no! Yeah, it's like the paramilitary oh, group that was responsible. No. Okay, it's like the Proud Boys. So when there's some sort of like fascist get-together, the Proud Boys show up to provide security. At the fascist barbecue? At the fascist barbecue. And when there's some kind of anti-fascist <laughs> event, the Proud Boys show up with sticks to hit people. And that is how the SA worked. They're basically the Proud Boys of the Nazi party. Perfect. All right, so uh, <laughs> Gustav, Papa Gustav, he fought for the Germans on the Russian front. He was wounded at the Battle of Stalingrad. He was discharged in 1943 after getting malaria, which is not Diseases. a disease. Yeah, it's not a disease I would have thought would be a big problem in Europe. Look, but... honey, I brought diseases. Right. Okay, so his parents married late in 1945 when Papa Gustav was... 38 and his mother was 23 okay they had two sons meinhard who was his father's favorite and younger arnold who gustav terrorized as a boy because he apparently worried that arnold was not his biological son (gasps) oh no dad who was the local police chief in their town (laughs) oh god would ridicule and beat Arnold as a boy. Oh, and, no, no. I mean, sort of like even worse is that apparently this was not at all unusual in their town. So it's not like within his peer group, people were like, Arnie, oh my God, your dad you is such a monster. Kid. Yeah, everybody was uh, like, yeah, my dad hit me too. <laughs> it was a different time. A different time, terrible time. And his father was an unreconstructed Nazi. Let's not, apparently that stuck. Like he never really left his Proud Boy barbecue days. He was all, once a proud boy, always a proud boy. I, I, hopefully not true, but anyway. Yikes. At school, Arnold was an okay student, but he was very popular with his teachers and other students, excelled at athletics, as you would expect. He was a dedicated soccer player, and it was his soccer coach who first took him and the team to a gym to lift weights. Oh, and it all begins. Right. So Arnold really got into it, and like by 14 or 15, he had given up soccer to focus on his weight training career. Okay, slight problem, at least on the home front. At the time, bodybuilding was not like known as a sport. And you're going to waste your time doing what, kid? Right. So Arnold, like, I think people don't necessarily realize that Arnold Schwarzenegger is responsible for turning bodybuilding into a national or internationally known sport. Before that. It was apparently just a lot of, I like, I, please don't hate, but I think the idea was that it was a fairly, like, insular and fairly narcissistic group of people who are lifting weights in front of mirrors, and then the gay men in the town that they're in will come to the gym and watch. Interesting. So it had all of these gay connotations, and you can imagine that Gustav unreconstructed Nazi who isn't even sure this is his son is now like Not oh my god into that at all yeah so good home life let's just let's just go there i mean i feel kind of bad for little arnie yeah no he had a crap childhood like i i can tell you that but he also knew from a very early like he knew at 14 like this is what i want to do for a living okay so i guess he you know, he anyway, like he bodybuilding. Yeah, he's got he's going to the movies all the time and he's seeing um, Hercules movies and Tarzan and they feature these big like, I mean, it's fun. I looked up pictures of these guys because I couldn't like picture them. 
they are muscle bound in a they're pre huge. Well, they're huge, but it's pre steroid. So they're muscly guys, but it's not this like, it's not the crazy definition that we have now that I think only comes from anabolic steroid. <laughs> sure. They're just, they're just big, muscly, strong men. These are people like Reg Park, Steve Reeves, who played Hercules. And then I guess German Johnny, Johnny Weissmuller as Tarzan. Oh, yeah. So here's a fun little spider web. Oh, yeah. Johnny Weissmuller was Tarzan in like six films, I think. A bunch of films. Sounds about right, yeah. But his Jane mm-hmm. is an actress, a beautiful Irish actress named Maureen O'Sullivan, who just happens to be the mother of Mia Farrow, oh. who will go on to be Frank Sinatra's third wife. Wow. Well, that was... Spiderwebs. Roundabout. That was fun. But also, you have to picture, like, young Arnold, who has now taken up practice at the gym of lifting weights, doing this thing his dad thinks is gay, is also popping out on the weekends to go to the local cinema to watch big, strong men on screen. Like, Johnny Weissmuller and Margaret oh O'Sullivan. Oh, my yeah, God. Maureen O'Sullivan. Yeah, and Steve Reeves and Reg Park. And, like, I'm sure he wasn't hanging posters on the wall, but he, th- those are his heroes. That's whose posters would have been there. His father was just mortified by this. Like, again, it is not that hard to imagine that Arnold's father thought he had raised a little gay boy. And it is tragic that this was playing out in the late 50s and early 60s, and the dad was an unreconstructed Nazi. So. The physical and emotional abuse that Arnold encountered at home, as well as his father's insistence that his dreams were trash, fueled him instead of holding him back. So this is actually really... He's a spicy Leo. This is very funny. So at the time, Austria... be a lion. Austria had a uh, one-year military service requirement for all 18-year-olds. They may still. I don't know. But so Arnold, Arnold turns 18, goes and signs up for his little stint, one-year stint. During basic training, the the Junior Mr. Europe competition was happening. And so (laughs) so little Arnold uh, goes AWOL, like runs himself off the base, finds a bus and heads over and he wins. And, you know, yay. And then First he, prize winner. Then he heads back to basic when he, where he is thrown in military prison for a week. <gasps> no. <laughs> I have my priorities. Okay. It's all worth it, probably, to him. He just won Mr. Yeah. Bodybuilding Europe. Yeah, yeah. So later he was voted best built man in Europe at a competition in the town of uh, Graz. I don't know. Might be. And in 1966... <laughs> He gets on an airplane for the first time to go to London okay. to compete to become Mr. Universe. Mr. Universe. I will say there were no non-humans competing, so I feel like the categories are a bit limited. <laughs> but So Arnold had developed the opinion that by winning Mr. Universe, this was his ticket to America, Hollywood, and stardom. So I mean, It makes sense. It it's i mean it turns out to be true in his case but <laughs> there was a lot of hard work and stuff in between so yeah like he wanted out of his father's grip he wanted away from his older brother's wastrel life gets to london comes in second place which must have been crushing but one of the judges comes up to him after and is like wow 
like you are the most impressive thing I've seen in years. I own a couple gyms. My family lives above one of them. Come live with us. I'll coach you. Oh. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, this is Arnie's East End London sojourn. Let's make lots of money. Mm-hmm. I got the brains. You got the looks. Yeah, yeah. Where he encountered a wider world for the first time, found genuine approval with a family that understood his passion. Oh, well, that had to be nice. And the next year, he became the youngest person ever to win the Mr. Universe title. <gasps> Yay! At the age of 20, and it was his first of four Mr. Holy Universe Holy cats! Ones. Okay, this is great. I love this story. Just wait. You'll, you'll hate him soon. Uh, during this time, Arnold Schwarzenegger developed a rather unique approach to women. Newcastle bodybuilder John Sertone told the Evening Standard in 2003, Anytime we were in hotels or bars, he'd ask the girls straight out, do you want to come to bed with me? Nope. He was very forward. Nobody. So no, think no, about uh, no. the naked man from <laughs> How I Met Your Mother. Like it's one like, out of three times. That's the thing. Like this isn't going to work every time, but when it works, nope. It's really a very clear cut. <laughs> Nobody. So okay, I like him. That's uh, that's Arnold. Apparently, that's kind of always his. Hey, it works one out of three times. Well, later he'll be a star, and as we know, when you're a star. They let you do it. Anything. Okay. In 1968, Arnold Schwarzenegger fulfills his lifelong dream and steps off a plane in Los Angeles, California, where he will continue his training and become so much more. Hollywood. He spoke almost no English. Oh. A little bit. He'd been living in London. He A little bit. He probably, he probably understood more than he could speak it, is my guess. He's also no dummy. I mean, he's a dirtbag, but he's he's a brilliant guy um, when it comes to getting ahead. <laughs> when it comes to getting what he wants. There are some allegations that he may have violated the terms of his visa in his early years in the States, which would sure. make him an illegal immigrant. But he is a citizen as of many decades ago. No matter. Arnold was where he wanted to be. And he began embarking on what would become a string of bodybuilding victories and then clawing his way into acting. Last bit of background bio before we kind of plunge ahead into modernity. In 1971 and 1972, Arnold lost both his brother in a drunk driving accident and his dad to a stroke. Wow. And he attended neither funeral. (gasps) Just like strikes match, throws on pile of gasoline, Walks off into the American sunsets. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ah. Apparently, Land he's, of the free. Yeah, he stayed close to his mother his whole life. Like he was close to her as a child and stayed close to her. But yeah, he didn't. He didn't bother to go home for those funerals. Okay. Let's talk about Arnie and women. Not long after arriving in America, he met a teacher named Barbara Outland, and they ended up living together from 1969 to 1974. Wow. Okay. Yeah. She says that early on, he was joyful and charismatic, and it was just fun and lovely, and he was new and had the accent. He's and so dreamy. He's so divine. Was also, like, his sex drive was apparently... Off the charts. Monumental. But by the end of their relationship, Hollywood had started calling, and he had become insufferably conceited and thought the world revolved around him. Oh, no. And she says she didn't know he was unfaithful until kind of after they broke up, but he was sort of constantly unfaithful. Ugh. Permanently unfaithful. Yikes. One time, one of her coworkers told Barbara that she had seen Arnold kissing a woman outside of a restaurant. 
hey, baby, do you want to fuck me? <laughs> and uh, as often happens in these situations, Barbara dumped her friend and not Arnold. And she wrote a book later. Uh, we'll have links to all this in the show Why notes. do women do this to men are not worth it? Yeah, I mean, this oh, one. Why do women do this to each other? This one wasn't. So they break up in 76, 74. Um, 1977, Arnold meets two women who will be important. One is a Californian named Sue Murray, and she agreed to have an open relationship with him that lasted well into late 1978. Oh, wow. Okay. The Good other. The other is Maria Shriver, oh. who was introduced to Arnold Schwarzenegger by no less than Tom Brokaw. <laughs> You're joking. And apparently <laughs> Maria did not know about Sue Moray, although Sue knew about Maria. So the open secret wasn't this open is, to Maria. This is how Arnold begins his relationship with his future wife. Perfect. With a girlfriend on each coast. Wow. Because he's still situated in L.A. and yeah. All right, we're going to leave Arnold here, do a little background on, you know, Maria Shriver. You insist that she is a Kennedy, and I insist that when things go wrong for Maria Shriver, the Kennedys are all like, well, she is a Shriver. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but that seems like what would happen. Which, when we talked about this a little bit earlier, it made us giggle, because yeah. you can imagine the spins off to you. It's the Skakel blood. It's the Lawford blood. How could so-and-so marry a Skakel? And then they have all those BBA blood. It's everybody, but of course the Kennedy, that's... Yup. Bless. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Maria Shriver was born November 6, 1955, and is a Scorpio. She is the daughter of Sergeant... Seriously? We have a Leo and a Scorpio together? Yeah. When I saw that, I was like... Fuck all of this Alicia will have opinions. I'm surprised they stayed together 25 years. Well, okay. What were they both getting out of this? We're going to talk a little about that because... do it. Yeah. Okay, Sergeant Shriver... I'm astonished. Yeah. Daughter of Sergeant Shriver, who, again, started the Peace Corps or was the first president of it or something was the 1972 Democratic vice presidential nominee with George McGovern, who got trounced by Nixon. Um, Also the daughter of Eunice Kennedy Shriver, sister of JFK, RFK, Ted. She's number five in our pub quiz lineup, Eunice. Okay. Yeah. Big Catholic family. And Arnold's family was Catholic as well. I don't don't think I mentioned that. Well, that's nice. But I think that is one thing where they bonded fine. Um, Maria was the only daughter of five children, second in the in the lineup and if you're familiar at all with kennedy and the kennedy adjacent men you'll know that there are zero rules of conduct that boys are required to abide by especially when it comes to women and that's likely to give you a pretty fucked up view of heterodynamics what's odd is that the kennedy women have so many rules yeah i'm sure stay thin be polite right yeah. thank you notes mm-hmm. like rose kennedy is her own special form of but all Oh yeah, but the boys can. But the this... manifestation of women and men in those in that family is entirely different. Yeah, tragically, they then take this into their marriage. Like they're trained to ignore infidelity. It's terrible. Well, because Joe Kennedy was fucking Gloria Swanson. We're going to talk about that on Patreon. He, Gloria Swanson, was his side piece for years and years and years. And Joe is entrenched not only into bootlegging and the mafia and the stock market. Nefarious no, dirtbag. But yeah, I learned it by watching you, Dad. Mm-hmm. So Maria got her degree from Georgetown in June of 77. 
and began a career in journalism at a CBS affiliate in Philadelphia. In August, just a few months later, her mom is throwing like a celebrity charity tennis event that Arnold Schwarzenegger will be playing a double set with. Fun fact, he is not a tennis guy. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I have a little story about that. Anyway, she meets Arnold at the like the pre-tournament party at the Rockefeller Room. Sorry, at the Rainbow Room on top of Rockefeller Center. Arnold also meets Ted Kennedy, Ethel Kennedy, and finally Eunice Kennedy Shriver, Maria's mother. And in his autobiography, he recalls that party this way. The first words I blurted out were, your daughter has a great ass. No. I always love to say outrageous things to people. No. But Eunice didn't even blink. That's very nice, she replied. <laughs> so the next day, no. he he does this doubles thing with another partner who can barely play. And I think it was Ethel who had set this up. So Ethel has paired them because they're not tennis players with two 10-year-olds who I guess are like good juniors tennis players. And so these guys are like, hey, are you good at this game? And no, are you? And so when they go out there and start just getting trounced by these 10-year-olds, they're both, I guess they're both bodybuilding. Like they're both like big, strong. So whenever these kids score points on them, they're like tearing their shirts off and growling and roaring. I mean, it was- They they turned into Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Yeah, they were putting on this big show for the audience. And apparently Ethel was thrilled. And anyway, so- (laughs) This is amazing. Yeah. Okay. So Maria Shriver, if you don't know, will eventually go on to win Emmys and Peabody's for television journalism. But in this phase of her career, she was still cutting her teeth in a big Eastern city during this like wonderful period in American history where a generation of lead poisoned baby boomers were leading the greatest (laughs) crime wave ever. And our big cities appeared on the verge of collapse. And so I can imagine that on the ground reporting in Philadelphia was amazing in the late seventies. Yeah. I mean, they just, they, they hadn't aged out of like the crime doing years, but all the criming. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm really sold on the lead poisoning theory of that giant crime spike of the baby boomers in their thirties, twenties and thirties. Okay. Maria Shriver and Arnold Schwarzenegger start dating, although, again, his career was centered in L.A. Hers was on the East Coast. They were really following similar trajectories, though, during this period. And, you know, Arnold was beyond the open relationship that he had until 1978. He was really enjoying himself during the nearly decade that they dated. Oh, was he? Oh, was he? Okay, so 1969, he gets to relive his childhood love of the Hercules films by starring in the film Hercules in New York. His accent was so thick that they dubbed his lines in post. Oh, my. (laughs) This got better. He really did get better. (laughs) He had a few other roles in the early and mid-70s before starring in Pumping Iron, also in 1977, which really made waves. This is like part of... So we did a we did a pro wrestling episode a while back with Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. So that wouldn't have happened if Arnold Schwarzenegger were not part of this wave of interesting weightlifter bodybuilder okay, people. Okay, no, totally makes sense mm-hmm. as a spiderweb. So yeah, so late seventies, he's out there like kind of making that happen. He gave some interviews to support Pumping Iron that were like forgotten for a long time until he ran for governor in '03. Uh, that 
He described like group sex among bodybuilders with like whatever drunk girl was there no! and uh, and his love of marijuana. Inappropriate. <laughs> oh no. Uh, okay. So 82, he finally had a bona fide box office hit with Conan the Barbarian. Oh, Conan. Which led to sequels, including a girl-powered version, Red Sonia, in 1985. Oh, I remember that movie. I do too. I loved these as a kid. With Natasha Kinnins... No, nope. nope. Bridget Nielsen. There we go. Who was 22 years old to his 38. Oh, no. Oh, with no. whom he had a torrid affair. Oh, no. Yep. Basically, his mom and dad's love story right there, except he was seven or eight years into his relationship with Maria Shriver. Yikes. Interestingly, Bridget Nielsen says that Arnold never told her about... His seven or eight year long relationship with Maria Shriver. And uh, the, her feelings were really hurt when she found out he had a long term girlfriend. There's no need to bring up that tiny detail. So let's stipulate that Arnold Schwarzenegger is a dog. No shade on dogs, by the way. No, we and, do not deserve dogs' no, canine version. Uh, and we also do not deserve him, but in a different way. <laughs> So during the, again, nearly decade that they courted from opposite coasts, he was a very busy man. But with the success <laughs> of The Terminator in 1984, his goal of becoming a Hollywood star was being achieved. Meanwhile, on the other coast, Maria was promoted from the Philly CBS affiliates to the co-anchor of the CBS Morning News in 85. So their careers really did track surprisingly well. You know, like they were each, they were each building at the same time. So these two crazy kids had some kind of parallelism going on here. And on April 26, 1986, after about nine years of dating, they married. Carolyn Kennedy was the maid of honor. Once married, they also had children together, four of them. The last one being born on September 27th, 1997. Just going to drop that date there. Well, no, what's odd or interesting, mm -hmm. Caroline Kennedy, mm -hmm. daughter of JFK, mm -hmm. gets married in July of 1986 to Edward Schlossberg. Interesting. So you kind of have some of that same 1953 parallel. Oh. Like rush into the altar to Everybody else get is doing first. it. I guess I should do it too. Yeah. yeah. Maybe so. Their careers continued to be great. Maria moved to NBC in 87, where she would remain until she became First Lady of California. Arnold branched out. Well, he expanded his action hero thing with roles in movies like Commando, Predator, Total Recall. And then he branched out into comedies with stuff like Twins and Kindergarten Cop. Like he and Danny DeVito were actually a really funny comedic duo for a minute there. I have a soft spot in my heart for Kindergarten Cop. It's a good movie. I mean, I recall it being very, it's not a tool. Ma. Okay. Um <laughs> He was also in True Lies in 94. Oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. With our best friend. Kidding. Uh, with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. We did happen upon Jamie Lee. We happened upon Jamie Lee Curtis's dog. dog because we don't deserve dogs, but we. Anyway. One day and petted the hell out of that dog and made friends with the dog. And only as we, after we had let the dog go, did we realize. As we that look that up, was, we're like, oh, that was, was that Jamie, wow. Jamie Lee Curtis's <laughs> she was like, dog. All right. By the late 90s. Arnold Schwarzenegger's star was definitely in decline. The only real success he had in films in the first decade of the 2000s was in Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. And then, you know, Hollywood was getting a little dim, so he decided to get into politics. Why not? 
California had a recall election in 2003. And I want to just kind of lay this out in case you don't remember it well, because the parallels to today are weird. So in, I don't know, I think even as early as the 2000 election, there were rolling blackouts in California. They were being held hostage by their energy company. Was that Enron? Is that the deal there? All right. Anyway, Enron had a role in this, but it was basically they were manufacturing like blackouts and brownouts so they could then pump the price on electricity. They were just shaking down the entire state, holding it hostage. People were furious. And, you know, gosh, can you imagine California being held hostage by an energy company? Hard to believe. Okay. (laughs) So this thing turned into a giant scandal, which swallowed up the Democratic governor, Gray Davis, and led to the first successful recall campaign in California history. Less than a year into Davis's second term, voters threw him out and replaced him with Arnold Schwarzenegger, a political novice, but one of the most famous faces and voices around. It was weird. There were a lot of people who ran in that election. There were. It was like a 20-person field or something. crazy, yeah. Um, But there were also, like, total recall. I mean, the media went nuts with the puns on it. Mm -hmm. It was treated in a very nonsensical way. And then they ended up with a cartoon governor. These were different times. Okay. So in the run-up to the election... Women poured out of the proverbial woodwork to complain that since he had started working in Hollywood, Arnold Schwarzenegger had been sexually abusing, groping, and otherwise being a scumbag to them. Oh my, really? Yeah, like 15. I mean, it's really, the parallels to today, stunning. When the LA Times published an expose revealing six accounts of abuse... Arnold's campaign spokesman, Sean Walsh, said, quote, We believe Democrats and others are using this to try to hurt Arnold Schwarzenegger's campaign. We believe that this is coming so close before the election, something that discourages good, hardworking, decent people from running for office. Nope. 2003. These disgusting old men have been practicing these lines for years. That was my takeaway. Anyway, so yeah, if I'm not clear on that, he rent, he's a he's been a Republican. He came from socialist Austria, and when he got to the U.S., like I guess Nixon was the first big campaign, and Nixon's out there talking free market and you know entrepreneurialism and all that stuff. And he was like, "Yes, that is why I came to the United States from Austria to get away from all of the to big be state a stuff." Republican. So yeah, he's been a Republican pretty much since he got here. All right, so. The allegations of groping, which earned him the name Gropinator, I think it was Gropegate when it first broke. This is all so bad. Oh, it was all so bad. I mean, come on. So the allegations dated back to 1975. I'm just going to run through them, and I guess that could be content warning worthy because this is gross. All right. Arnold allegedly put his hand up the shirt of another bodybuilder's wife and touched her bare breast. Another woman described working at a deli that Arnold frequented back in 1980. He came on to her at the deli. She turned him down. Later, he bumps into her while she's playing at a volleyball tournament and told her she was coming home with him. And she's like, no, I'm not. So he follows her in his car as she's leaving. No. Calls out to her and she goes over probably to tell him off. And he grabs and squeezed her breast. And when he saw that she was upset by it, he started laughing at her. Nope. Because he is a cool guy. There was a reporter with whom he would later settle a lawsuit after his campaign said she provoked his gross advances. 
And then a secretary at Columbia Pictures, whose ass Arnold grabbed onto, held onto, and said, You have a very nice ass. I'd love to work you out. Ew. There was a crew member on Terminator 2 in 1990 who unfortunately found herself on elevators with the Gropinator on several occasions. Groped every time. She complained to her boss, who told her to stay away from him. I'm sure she would have liked that. Another crew member on Terminator 2 was walking by Arnold when he grabbed her, pulled her onto his lap, and whispered into her ear, Have you ever had a man slide his tongue in your anus? Nope. And the LA Times has, like, anuses in brackets because he did not say that. (laughs) Woman after woman expressed a fear of retribution if their names were published with accusations against a Hollywood star, and they were undoubtedly right to be worried. Another report has it that during the filming of Terminator... He groped co-star Linda Hamilton in front of her then-boyfriend, the director of the movie, James Cameron. (sighs) Seriously, when you're a star, they They let let you do it. So there had been rumors about an on-set romance with a co-star during the filming of Total Recall. Oh, and then there was Gigi Goyette, a child star, who began her affair with the decades older Arnold when she was just 16. This lasted for seven years. Oh, no. Okay, this gets nope. super weird. It nope. was outed by the National Enquirer in early 03, along with a follow-up piece that was titled Arnold's Dirty Secrets, Why He Can't Run for Governor. And then, what do you know? David, mm-hmm. David Pecker hops on an airplane and flies out to California and has a chat with Arnold's people. Nope. So I'm going to cut to Nikki Swift explaining how this all worked out from NikkiSwift.com, which is such a good site for, for trashy details like this. But in 2005, the Times uncovered an alleged deal between the actor and American Media Incorporated, which owned the National Enquirer, along with several fitness magazines. Reportedly, Schwarzenegger agreed to become executive editor for two of AMI's publications, which would be a huge draw to readers and advertisers. In return, AMI went to work doling out hush money to protect Schwarzenegger's campaign. According to the Times, one of his alleged mistresses, Gigi Goyette, was paid $20,000 to only talk to AMI about her supposed relationship with the actor for a book about her life. Catch and kill. There was just one small problem. AMI never published her book which bilked her out of a larger payday, along with the fame of writing a tell-all about her alleged seven-year affair with one of the biggest movie stars on the planet. Wow. (sighs) Sound familiar? A little bit. Anybody have any thoughts? (laughs) We've covered this on Trashy Tidbits a thousand times on Patreon. We cover this with the Jeff Bezos story. We cover this with the Donald Trump story. We... Whoo! So... Decades. Decades. All of this is terrible, but it's not the worst. Oh, no. Which is, wait, it gets better. Oh, it gets worse. Arnold was elected, and then he was re-elected governor. And by the time he left office, California was dying a slow death from malevolent mismanagement via Republican obstructionism. Sound familiar? He left office in January 2011 with a 23% approval rating. Yikes. 
<laughs> but that was not the end of the story. Oh. On May 9th, 2011, so five months later, Arnold and Maria announced they were separating after 25 years of marriage. Interesting. On May 16th, the LA Times revealed that Arnold had fathered a child with their longtime <gasps> housekeeper 14 years earlier. What? what? Patty Baina had worked for the Shriver Schwarzeneggers for 20 years when she retired in January 2011 as he left the governor's office. She had given birth to her son, Joseph Baina, on October 2nd, 1997. Remember that Christopher was born September 27th, 1997. So basically, Arnold's got a home where his wife and his mistress are both pregnant with his child at the same time, interacting regularly, one employing the other, one being paid by the other, and Arnold was totally cool with all of that. This is a Hollywood script. So apparently what happened was that Maria Shriver had some sort of suspicion about Joseph. Hard to believe, I know. I've seen pictures of the guy. She was right to have suspicions. So a few months after Patty's retirement, Maria calls her up, and I'm just speculating how this conversation might have gone. Something like, ring, ring. Ring, ring. Hey, by the way, I noticed that your 14-year-old son looks a lot like my husband, and I was wondering if this guy who's been cheating since the day I met him 35 years ago might be the father. Patty said yes. So Maria confronted Arnold, and that was the end of their marriage. For his part, Arnold says he didn't know that kid was his for like seven or eight years. I... (sighs) Okay, earlier when I said he's really smart, maybe I overstated things. No, I just think that is just an incredibly self-serving cop out there. I don't believe that for a second. So whatever the truth of it, Arnold has financially supported his children, including Joseph. And he does have relationships to one degree or another with all of his known children. The Shriver-Schwarzenegger divorce was not finalized until 2017, and neither has since remarried... But, oh, God. (laughs) I do not know how to conclude this. Like, the parallels here and, like, the dozens of Trump accusers and David Pecker and Catch and Kill and energy company extortion and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's really intense. And I got really angry to realize that we played this game 13 years before the 2016 election and we learned nothing from it. We played this game since the beginning of time, Stacy. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, like no, good you're... playbook right here. So Arnold Schwarzenegger is disgusting, and I think there's just something genetically wrong in the Kennedy line when it comes to cheating, either doing it or ignoring it. And I think I need a shower now. <laughs> so I'm giving this 4.8 million trash cans. Oh, perfect! Which is the number <laughs> of votes that Schwarzenegger got in his 06 re-election campaign. In spite of all this information being out there for years, he was first elected with 4.2, so it went up. 4.8 million trash cans. 4.8 million trash cans with Austrian accents. I don't know. And love children. Kennedy's like the honors. I'm sure they're excited about that. Wow. Any questions? That is some trashy divorces, trash baggery right there. Got nothing. Thanks. That was a great story. Yeah, you're welcome. Ugh, I really, I'm, yep, once we finish doing all this, I'm taking a shower. That was, that was gross. Hey, if you need more trashy divorces in your life, you can go support us on patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Mm -hmm. 
We will be back next week for yet another spiral down the trashy divorces rabbit hole. And until then, we'll be back. <laughs> keep it trashy. It's no, terrible. Keep it so trashy, y'all. Yeah, keep it Everybody trashy. have a great week. Whew, better, not, not as trashy as Arnold. No, the... <sighs> Question right now is, uh, who's going to make it to the shower first? We have two mm. different plans of escape from this room. Who's going who's gonna to make it? Fair. Cheers, friends. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear want to advertise with us reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information and last but not least come play with us on social media i keep most of our trashy divorces instagram hopping stacy and i share it up over on facebook including our trashy divorces podcast discussion group come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening keep it trashy y'all